Oh, good morning, everybody. You all good? Yeah, great. Uh, well, it's always wonderful to be here. Uh, I am sorry that Linda is not here. She has left me. But um, don't worry, only for a short time she went to be with Mel in Melbourne and the new baby, of course, who is four months old. So, so she is over there and sends her love. She is also not long before came back from visiting Jesse and Angie uh, and their family over in Florida and they've had a wonderful year. They have been very, very busy. Thank you, Dean. They have been very busy. They send their love and their greetings to everybody, but they are doing great. So um, they're working on what 2020 should look like um, and where all of that goes. So um, anyway, all an exciting time. Linda and I, I've been away this year almost as much as I've been home, which has been good and exciting and very tiring and all those things. Travel comes harder the older you get. And um, it's just the way it is. But Linda and I um, are moving house. I've sold my place in Fendleton. And um, we will stay in her beach house for a little while, which is also sold. And, um, but the people next door bought it and told us we could stay there until we find something. So we decided just to head over to the coast. And um, it's actually been interesting. I've been in that house for 19 years. So I'm not really a hoarder, but I did accumulate a bit of stuff. And um, of course, a lot of what you say comes back to bite you. So I have preached here quite a bit. You all know that material possessions are good. God's material God as much as anything. But they all finish up at the tip. Now, you've heard me preach that to you all. Well, of course, we're in the process of getting our house ready. We have to move out on the 17th of January. So we've been doing several trips to the tip. And every time we go to throw something away, Linda keeps saying, well, I heard this preacher once say, and over it goes under the loader, you know, so um, I'm tiring of it. I really am. But it, it is funny that some of the things we really used to treasure have now already gone. They're at Silver Stream Tip now. So um, there we go, which does bring me to what I want to share with you uh, today about what is Christmas really all about? And what should we be focusing on? Now, um, and here's a great opportunity for you. Jesus' birthday is not actually known. But I believe we can clearly at least point to the month through Scripture. We clearly can. Now, I'm not going to tell you, but the elders, if anybody comes to the elders over the next month or next year, they will give you a crunchy bar each. If you tell them from Scripture what month you believe Jesus was born and why, okay? So I'm going to make sure they know. They might disagree, but at least I believe it can be worked out. But don't worry about that for now. Christmas Day is a day that is chosen to celebrate Jesus' birth and the advent of his coming to earth in the form of human being. And so the question becomes this especially for us as believers, is Christmas 
very special in the day that we're using to celebrate Jesus' birth or for born-again believers who believe Jesus needs to be the focus of our everyday, uh, is it just another day? So I want to have a look at this this morning. So going to Luke chapter 2, verse 8, starting from verse 8, it says, In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Now here's something that's interesting to me. This is the only place in the whole of Scripture where it records an event which says the multitude of heavenly hosts stood before the throne and praised and worshipped God. This is the only time. It is not said at the cross. It is not said at the resurrection. It is not said at the coming of the Holy Spirit, the day of Pentecost. It's only said at the birth of our Messiah. And to me, that is very significant. To me, this is a very special time of the year for us as Christians, for us as as believers. And it's a great time of celebration, which we should all be celebrating. Now, I want to start here with a little bit of criticism of Western world Christianity. Now, there's a whole heap that the whole world should be grateful for, for what the Western world's bought, Christianity and the understanding of it. But sadly, there can be an emphasis of the Western model. It begins at the Christmas story. It begins it by saying that because God is holy, using the term in a legal sense, and that we are sinners, we are in trouble with him. The human race fell into sin and it has to respond to a God who is demanding justice. So the story goes on and all of this is true. I'm just saying this is not the Christmas story. It goes on. Jesus Christ, against this backdrop, came to satisfy the demands of God. On the cross, the guilt of the human race Our fallenness is placed upon Jesus Christ and God's punishment for sin is poured out on him. All true. Multitude of biblical verses backing this up. All true. So as a result, God's justice is satisfied and we are forgiven and made legally clean. Well, we thank God for that because without it, we're eternally lost. So it's a great time. But this is not the heart of of the gospel. This is not the Christmas message. This is not what we celebrate. And if we only embrace this part of the event, we lose the overall picture of the incarnation or Christ coming to earth and the call to sonship. Because instead, we paint the picture of a divine legalist 
who supposedly is God, who is extremely upset at the human failure and sin. And so he sent Jesus to come and rescue us, meaning that Jesus actually came to rescue us from an angry God who was demanding punishment. But this is not the heart of the Father at all. This is not the heart of the Christian message at all. It's more than that. It's far more fulfilling than that. It is part of it. It's got elements of very clear biblical truth in it. But the real story of Christmas is of Christ coming to earth because the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit wanted to reach out to us to share their life and their glory with us. That's the heart of it. This is why all the angels are rejoicing at his coming. Now, listen to the last verse I read out of the passage in Luke 2.14, because this is often missed. Listen to what it says. Glory to God in the highest. Okay, that's great. All the angels worshiping God. And on earth, peace among men. But listen to this. With whom he is pleased. This is on the arrival of Jesus. The angels are worshipping, saying, Glory to God, peace on earth among all men with what? With whom he is pleased. God is pleased with us. We're created in his image. His love can't help but reach out to us and say, I want these people as part of the relationship that we enjoy in the Trinity. I want them to be part of it. Did we sin and fall short? Yes. Does God get angry with the human picture where you can't read the Bible and come to another conclusion? Yes, he does. I am a father. In fact, some of my family is here today. Great to see all you guys. And um, very occasionally, my kids made me angry. Very. And now I know for some of you parents, you're amazed at that. But very occasionally they did. But it didn't stop me loving them and wanting to reach out to them and wanting to say, come and do this journey with us together. So it says God is pleased with us. He's not angry or vengeful. He loves us. And his love motivates him to take action on our behalf for our benefit and for our well-being. That is primarily who God is. So, so many times in the Old Testament, when God introduced himself, Moses is a classic case. God announced how he wanted us to receive him and see him. Slow to anger, loving kindness. This has come through scripture, Old Testament scripture many times. Slow to anger, loving and kindness, bringing blessings to families for a thousand generations. That's not an angry God who's out for vengeance or wrath. He wants to do everything he can to spare us from that. Galatians 1 verse 3 and 4 says this, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins so that, here we go, so that he may rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Why did Jesus come? 
so he could rescue us from the present evil age. Why? So we could join with him as sons and daughters in expressing the kingdom of God. So we could enter a new age, which Jesus brought with him uh, in in his first coming. So we could enter a new age with which we live out from the throne room of the Father. He says, no more do you have to come to me with fear. The throne room is open. The veil's been torn from top to bottom. He's saying, come in, come in and join with me and enjoy me and I'll enjoy you and we can do some amazing things together. This is what the Father's beckoning for. Does it make life easy? No, it doesn't. Life in a fallen world's not easy for anybody. Nobody gets a free run on this planet. But it brings the ultimate fulfillment that anybody can have on this earth. That offer is there for us. So for all eternity, we're going to share with Jesus and work with him in the project called the Kingdom of God. And all the while, we're going to enjoy the adoration of the Father. He takes immense pleasure in us as his sons and daughters, both now and forever. I adore my kids and my grandkids. I adore them. There's a natural love that flows out of us. That love comes from Jesus. That's where it comes from. That's where it flows from. The fact that we can love like we do is a reflection of the fact that we are created in the image of the Father. That is the only reason we can do it. So Jesus is forever our point of meeting. He's the union between the life of the Trinity through us. And through him, we're given a way to get back on the journey that God intended us to have with him all the while. All in the whole purpose of his creating Adam and Eve and what he intended at that point of time. And we need to embrace this. And I think Christmas is a special time when we can embrace this. When we, we can embrace it all throughout the year, but it's a time we are in the Western world anyway or down this part of the hemisphere. Most of us stop. I know some of you are still keeping the country going while the rest of us have put our feet up. But most of us stop. And these are the things that are so good to reflect on. Christmas is first about love and union with the Holy Trinity. Then it is about the joy of working with the Father. Loving him comes first. Loving others as ourselves comes next. And then embracing the work that he has called us to do follows. And that's what we're meant to be celebrating in regard to Christmas. That's what um, lifts my heart to worship. And by the way, I loved the worship this morning. Thank you, Rachel and the team. Just fantastic. Just really great to come together and enjoy the Lord together. But in all of this... I want to ask you a question. Where is the fire? And I'm not asking this question of Lane Park Church. I'm asking the question of me, of you, all my brothers and sisters in Christ. See, the whole Christmas experience should set a fire burning in our lives. We have a loving Father who just dotes on us and wants us to dwell in his presence. 
but he has work for us to do as well. And he has empowered us to do it. He wants us to express something that is holy and righteous and good. So I I want to tell you something, and I've been sharing some of this message overseas, and in my travels I am just completely convinced of this. The charismatic movement, which most of you here have been part of, the great charismatic movement, listen to this, 60 million people, it is believed, came to know the Lord through the charismatic movement. 60 million people. So before people criticize it and say all the things they say about it, quote the figure, 60 million people, it is believed, came to know the Lord. I'm one of them. I am one of them. I was an atheist. All you know my story, I'm one of them. Came to know the Lord through the charismatic movement. But listen to me. The great fire that it was has now gone out. It has gone out. It is finished. It is over. And I grew up with all of you, many of you here, um, as a Christian with thousands of people. And you remember the events and the things we did and the great things that happened and all of those wonderful things. And they were wonderful. That fire has gone out. So here's my question today. Right on the Christmas experience. Where's the fire? Where's the fire? I want the fire, guys. See, what makes me so sad is that many people who were dramatically touched by it and actively involved in it are now just good citizens who vaguely love Jesus and even question the memory. Even say, well, it wasn't that good. Yes, it was. And uh, it wasn't that exciting. Yes, it was. And some of those things didn't happen. Yes, they did. Yes, I was there. You were there. I was part of it. You were part of it. Yes, they did happen. Yes, they did. Did we make a few mistakes on the way? Absolutely. But it was all done because we had a fire burning in us. Jesus didn't put the fire out. He never does. We let it go out. And I refuse to do that. And like many of you, I still do the things that I was doing back then. I pray in tongues most days. I uh, pray for people anywhere and everywhere and expect God to show up. I'll minister deliverance in Jesus' name anywhere where I see people trapped under demonic bondages. I um, use the name of Jesus to break those things. And I refuse to let the enemy back into my life and territory that Jesus has gained for me. I'm still doing those things. Don't let the fire go out. Where is the fire? Make it burn. Fire attracts people. That's what got Moses into this whole deal, seeing the fire at the burning bush. It attracts people. And I want to ask this question. Sorry, guys, to be picking on you, but I want to ask you to explain especially the men, because listen, in the kingdom of God, the women are doing great. They are doing great. It's the men who are dragging the chain. Do you know this? There is 70% female to 30% male in the kingdom of God in the Western world. What's happening, guys? 
What is going on? What are we letting happen in our life? Where is the fire? This is not what Jesus came to earth for. This is not what Christmas is about. This is not what Jesus gained his life, gave his life for. And a major problem, and one of the keys that quenches the fire, is when we happen to think the Christian journey is mostly about us. Because it's not. We, position, we petition God for all sorts of things. And then when he doesn't deliver in the time we think he should or the way we think he should, we become disillusioned and we feel rejected. And here's what we have to learn. Christianity is always first about God and his purposes for this earth and how we as his disciples can join with him and be yoked with him and walk with him and achieving those very things. And out of that, Christmas in that context becomes about others and about what God is doing, not about ourselves. Amen? Amen. That's it. And if you haven't got that yet, that Christianity is not going to be based around you, it's not going to work for you. You're not going to enjoy it. Because God is constantly saying to us, you will find your life by losing it. What does that mean? It means we drop the demands for self. We drop the demands that come out of our fallen nature, that keep demanding what's in it for me. We drop those demands and look at everything with a view. What's in it for Jesus? What's in it for uh, the fact that he left the Godhead, and came to earth as a human being and endured everything he endured. Was it for him? No, he already had it all before he did that. It was for us. But it's not about us. It was to reconcile us to God so we could work together. Sure, he wants to bless us and empower us and heal us because he loves us. But it's also because we have work to do for him that we cannot do without him. It is not possible. And so we come back to this question again and again. How much of my life reflects what Jesus, what what I'm doing that I could not do without Jesus? How many things are happening in my life that I could not be happening without Jesus? I never want the answer to be nothing or even very little or even hardly anything. I'm asking you again, where is the fire? Is it still burning? Is your message, zeal for my father's house consumes me? And out of that we can claim immunity and freedom from the things of the world. Here's a good tip for you. It's not new, you've heard it from me before. Especially over Christmas, especially when we may let our guard down, especially when alcohol may flow freely and different things like that. Here's a good tip for you. And here's a biblical answer. Because if we say, who is the most dominant in you? 
your redeemed nature or your fallen nature. Most people will quote 1 John 4 verse 4, and it says, greater is he who is in me than he um, who is in the world. Very true, it's in there, you can look it up. But that's not the right answer. Who is the most dominant in you, the redeemed nature or the fallen nature, the one you feed the most? That one leads. That one rules. The one you feed the most will lead you. If you feed the fallen human nature through lust, through selfish desire, through all the issues we know, that will lead you and demand more. If you feed your redeemed nature through the word of God and praise and worship and good fellowship with brothers and sisters who are on fire for God, that will lead you and you will wake up in the morning and I wake up pretty slowly in the morning. It takes me a while. Linda gets up about 5.30. I'm a long way off this planet at 5.30 a.m. So I say to her, just wake up very quietly and go about your business. I wake up slowly. But as I'm waking up, everything in me starts to say, Jesus, Jesus, I want to connect with you. Right from this point when I'm trying to wake up, I want to connect with you. And I want you to lead me through the rest of my day. And I want to bring glory to the Father in what I do. I start the day with that, and at that point you begin to work through. And that's the only way we can overcome the fallen nature that's constantly telling us how we should feel sorry for ourselves, how God's let us down, how people have let us down, and all of those other aspects. Coming back to something, then I'm going to finish. Interesting comment made about the internet. Now, I love the internet, but it's got its dark side as well as its redeemed side, and we need to be careful how we use it. But interestingly about the internet, a writer's written a book about it who's not a Christian, and he says this, one of the most powerful things Christianity brings society is forgiveness. Because we can do something, hurt one another, whatever, and we can say, okay, because of the Holy Spirit who lives within me, I'm called to forgive you. It's very hard, but I'm not going to ask, I'm call on the power of God to bring forgiveness. Now, people today are applying for jobs. This is all in the book. And they may have done something 10 years ago, and other people applying for the same jobs are dredging through the internet, calling up their past and sending it to the employer. That is happening in the Western world. And they don't get the job. Do you know what that means? There's no forgiveness. Whatever you did wrong 10 years ago, 15 years ago, whatever you did wrong, they go back to the past, find it, and present it. Now, we're working with a key man who came to the Lord three years ago in Madagascar. And he's got very strong political influence and strong influence in other areas. Now, before he was a Christian, like many, many officials, in fact, most of them in Madagascar, he was corrupt. And he's repented. He has taken that before the Lord And now he is trying to deal with corruption in those areas. So guess what they did? 
they went back three, four years ago, dredged up the corruption that they knew he'd taken because they'd taken it as well, had him arrested and thrown in jail. But here on goes the corruption. He's got a ton of money. So in jail, you buy yourself privileges. So he's having a good life in jail because he's got a ton of money, keeps feeding it to the security guards who stick it in their pocket. They bring him the best of food, all sorts of privileges, all sorts of benefits. You see, the whole issue, where I come back to, um, so much of what we've brought to the Western society, Christian is a time to consider forgiveness. Don't carry hurts and ill feelings and bitterness into the Christmas experience. Leave them behind. We can't change our past, but we can leave our past behind. It doesn't have to dominate us and influence us. I have things in my past that I deeply regret, but I can leave them behind in Christ because his mercies are new every morning, right? And the blood of Jesus, his son, constantly cleanses us from sin. So I'm finishing off. What a sacrifice Jesus made in leaving the heavenly realm and coming here. He did it so the hearts of the sons and daughters can be restored to the Father who is God. He came to introduce us to God as our Father. He came to call you and me into a love relationship with him and from this to be yoked with him as an expression of his kingdom. What a privilege. Are you there? Are you there? Are you part of this? Is this what Christianity is about for you? Were you there once upon a time and you're not there now? Has the fire dulled? Kindle it again. Get it going. Jesus is still there. He's still calling. He's still freeing and empowering all those who know him. So whatever else Christmas means to you, may you join again this year with all the angels as they celebrate the birth of Christ and the coming of a whole new age that only those in Christ can enter. Thank you very much. God bless you.